Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Salute. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, have you heard about this uh, chat GPT website? I mean, I I heard you. I heard, <laughs> you heard letters and numbers. You heard me say that? <laughs> but I have no idea what you're talking about. I really don't. So this is a uh, this is this new AI. Like they say, it's like revolutionizing creativity. It's like one of those websites where you d- describe, you know, Jordan Peterson playing with a train set, and it gives you a realistic artist rendering of it using the power of internet. Hey, here's something that would revolutionize creativity. <laughs> Living wage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we wouldn't know anything about that here at the Expert Shimoda Corporation. But uh, I thought maybe we could lighten the load on ourselves by uh, seeing if the chat GPT program could, you know, generate some some banter for us to to open a show with. So explain to me how this works. I understand that it's an AI thing, but how exactly would it do this? Is an example the best way to teach me how this works? Because I still don't, I don't think I get it. It might be. Like people will put in a prompt like solve world hunger or tell a story. Is of, this like uh, AI Mad Libs? It kind, no, it's kind of like, it's going to replace us. It's going to be, this is going to be what people listen to instead of podcasts in the future. And I'm just trying to get on board early because I think that, uh, you know, like if, if we could eventually just put in a prompt, like do an episode of The Greatest Generation about season five, episode eight of Star Trek Voyager, and then like have just AI, you know, recreate our voices, then we sit back and we cash checks, baby. Well, and we don't even have to work. I'm shocked about this 180 that I'm experiencing right now. A couple years ago, you will not replace us. Bad, really bad, bad thing to say. And now... <laughs> I don't want to be replaced by this thing. It was not you. It was something that r- rhymes with you that they were saying, and, th- and that remains bad, Adam. I don't want AI to replace me. I mean, I maybe I'd like to call in sick from time to time, <laughs> maybe in a way that's not perceptible to the viewers. Is that what this will allow me to do? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Like, yeah, like if maybe you write in Adam calls in sick to work from his Star Trek <laughs> podcast. What does that sound like? <laughs> I'm writing a prompt here. Generate a script for Adam and Ben to talk for three minutes at the opening of their podcast about Star Trek Voyager. (laughs) Should I get any more specific than that? I think you should be as specific as possible. I think AI is pretty dumb, right? It needs inputs to work. Well, that's the thing is that people say that this is really great. So I'll say make it funny. All right. Is that specific? Yeah, make it funny. Okay. Be funny, AI. <laughs> okay. I think I can share my screen with you, right? Can I do that? Yeah. Is it going to generate a script and then we're going to read it? It is generating a script as we speak, Adam. Wow. You can see it typing out right there. Can you read that? Is that okay. legible to you? Yeah, if I make it big, I can do that. All right. So you've got uh, the first line here. So this is a chat GPT Marin of the greatest generation. Captain, 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 Captain,
Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of robots who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Hey, Ben, how's it going? Not bad. Just trying to keep my Borg implants under control. Huh. Good luck with that. So, are you excited for today's episode on Star Trek Voyager? Absolutely. I mean... What's not to love about the USS Voyager getting lost in the Delta Quadrant and having to find their way back home? Yeah, and let's not forget about Captain Janeway and her no-nonsense attitude. I mean, who else could take on the Borg and come out on top? Definitely not me, that's for sure. But hey, at least we have seven of nine to provide some much-needed eye candy. Oh man, don't even get me started on seven of nine. Talk about some serious alien hotness. And let's not forget about the doctor. He may be just a hologram, but he's got some serious skills when it comes to saving the day. Yeah, he's like the ultimate Swiss army knife. Well, I think we've gushed enough about Star Trek Voyager for one day. Let's get on with the episode, shall we? Sounds good to me. Engage. And scene. Wow. I mean, I was expecting it to be more awfuler. I'd say, I'd say we can, this is better than our show, right? Hey, what would happen if you entered in the episode of Voyager that we're reviewing today? Like, generate a script for Adam and Ben to talk about the Star Trek Voyager episode, Nothing Human. What happens then? Let's see. I should probably spell it correctly, right? Yeah. And I'm going to add, make it really funny. Yeah. How about make it really horny? Yeah. Uh... And horny. <laughs> like, comma, really horny. Like, flood your server basement, open AI. <laughs> this will be a closer facsimile of, of our show. Oh, wait, what happened here? I'm sorry, but I am unable to generate content that is inappropriate or explicit. Oh, no. Okay, so I'm not allowed to make it horny. Hey, Ben, it sounds like you and I get to keep our jobs. <laughs> we keep our jobs. It said all that stuff about Seven of Nine being a serious alien hottie or whatever. Yeah. All right. I'm going to confine my request to it being funny. <laughs> Man, this... This is not that different, the second-generated script. They talk a lot about Bolana and Tom and testicles, so let's go ahead and read this. <laughs> what do you say? Let's go back to one. Welcome to The Grey's Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of robots who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Franica. Hey, Ben, how's it going? Not bad, Adam. Just trying to get over my obsession with Captain Janeway's hair. It's like every time I see it, I just want to run my fingers through it. (laughs) I know what you mean. But seriously, are you ready for today's episode on Nothing Human? Absolutely. I mean, what's not to love about an episode where the doctor has to save a member of a species that's basically a giant ball of testicles? Oh, wait, (laughs) that says says tentacles. Excuse me. Yeah, you read what you want to read. And I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. And let's not forget about the moral dilemma of using a convicted war criminal's memories to help save the day. Definitely a tough call. But hey, at least we have Bolana and Tom to provide some much needed comic relief. Oh, man. Don't even get me started on Bolana and Tom. Talk about some serious tension on the ship. 
And let's not forget about Tuvok's poker face. He's like a Vulcan emotionless robot, but somehow he always manages to clean up at the table. Yeah, he's like the ultimate poker pro. Well, I think we've teased enough about the episode for one day. Let's get on with it, shall we? Sounds good to me. Engage. I'm starting to see a theme. That was really bad. That was worse than the first one. It was worse than the first one, and yet even better than our show? Like, like paradoxically? There's something very mathy about one of us talking about a thing, and then the other person going, oh man, and what about this completely unrelated other thing that I'm interested in? Like, that's not how a conversation works. That's not how any of this works. Yeah. Tell me about it. And don't get me started on how a conversation doesn't have to work that way in the first place. Ben, I'm ready. I really want to do our show our way and get this fucking AI taste out of my mouth. Yeah. That was, that was, uh, I feel awful after that. I feel like that was an interesting experiment, but uh, I am satisfied that our jobs are safe for the time being. I think so too. I think they need to tighten a couple of screws over at the AI robot labs. (laughs) I think they got a long way to go to perfect what we've got going on. Hmm. Let's see if there's any screws that need tightening over on the Starship Voyagers. What do you say? Yeah, let's check those screws, Ben, as we discuss Star Trek Voyager Season 5, Episode 8. Nothing human. Reaper course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. (laughs) Don't get me started, Ben, on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Not to mention this episode that we're about to review. So we open with the doctor doing sort of vacation photo montage uh, down in the holodeck. And this really has some Data's poetry energy. Everybody hates sitting there and watching the doctor show his pictures from an away mission. Oh, but I haven't finished yet. There's more? The best is yet to come, Lieutenant. At first, I thought this scene was bad because it represented how much power they gave to the doctor to elbow himself into the society they've made on the ship. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's a compulsory aspect to this. Like, the crew must attend the doctor's presentations. And I'm using plural. Like, plural presentations that the doctor's doing here. (laughs) And they've got to all attend. Can't you reprogram him or something? When I watched this happen, I was like, this is a mistake. They never should have given him, you know, the sort of autonomy... That, that would make a moment like this possible. But the more I thought about it, Ben, you have to have this scene in this episode because of everything that follows. Yeah. It actually is super useful because you want to ask that question here in this moment instead of later on when you really got to decide whether you need to listen to the doctor or not when the shit really goes down. Mm-hmm. I noticed that their interest in the presentation really did turn around when we started showing close-ups of Vulcan reproductive glands. Yeah. That was pretty exciting, right? You know, the warning verbiage when you start up a Mm. show and it says like uh, profanity, nudity, what have you. Right. Extreme close up of veiny gland. Yeah. (laughs) Veiny gland should be in the warning cloud. (laughs) It should. (laughs) I also love the the bit that Chakotay is doing by letting them suffer through this. It's uh, it's his watch on the bridge with... 
Ensign Kim, and he's just going to let them twist in the wind, wondering when their requested yellow alert is ever going to come through. They've been in there over an hour. <laughs> Sounds great. I love all the grumbling they do after the meeting adjourns and in the corridor, like, where was the yellow alert? I thought the yellow alert was going to happen. What the fuck? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no yellow, no yellow. <laughs> Definitely grounds for court martial. <laughs> I went on that Tinder date and left very explicit instructions to my roommate. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'd rather be in the first wave. Like, Kim and Chicote know what this is. I'd rather go in cold than expect an awful presentation. Right. Like these people clearly did. Because, yeah, the anticipation is as torturous probably as the presentation itself. Exactly. I'd be twisting myself up thinking of excuses for how to bail brutal i was thinking also just about all the like socialization lessons that the doctor has been doing with seven of nine it doesn't seem like he's picking up on the social cues here like the the eyes are rolling super fucking hard in the in the crowd at his presentation he does not have the room yeah and at this point in the episode the wave of goodwill for the doctor begins to roll back this is as good as it gets for him, this episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, a couple of folks head to Neelix's restaurant to get a piece of pie and talk about the movie they just saw. Mm-hmm. You'd like to get a piece of pie and talk about the movie you just saw? Yeah. Delicious. <laughs> it's probably some root pie that Neelix has got. <laughs> yeah. Root pie and root coffee. Yeah. Nasty. Leola strawberry pie. Yeah. I mean, when in season, you know? This is the scene where it's clear that the presentation is tailored toward the specific audience every time. Yeah. There's like compromise on BLT that other people have seen that Tom Paris has not. Yeah. What? Really? Well, I seem to have missed that one. I don't like the doctor having those materials. I also don't like the, the Tom's idea that he's going to email it to the whole crew. Like, that's not nice, Tom. Yeah. Like, that's your lady. Don't humiliate her to her workplace. Yeah, but Paris has been humiliated every presentation with that mud photo, right? Look at all that crud on him. Yeah. Whoa, what happened to you? Did you fall into some mud or something? Yeah, I did. Yeah, but that's not her fault. That Like, he should find something embarrassing about the doctor and circulate that, you know? Rewenge. What does it mean? It means omata. It means... I love the behind the production thought of this moment. Like, (laughs) they covered him in mud and they took his picture. They had to do it. Yeah. That's the picture I want to get an autograph of when I go to a convention. (laughs) Like, could you imagine your homemade printout of the Tom Paris portrait? Yeah. And you bring it up to uh, to B Dunks' table? That'd be pretty fun. Do you think that that was shot? Like, is there... A 35 millimeter print of that photograph somewhere? Like, did they send a professional photographer to take that picture and then scan it into a computer? Or did, was this in the era where they could take that picture on a digital camera and load it into the episode that way? Does the Delta Flyers podcast have a, a, a listener mail segment? I think that's the question I've got for them on that show. We've got to ask them about this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The scene really reminded me of in college. We had we had a roommate who got a like a Michelangelo mask and plastic nunchuck set, like to dress up as a Ninja Turtle. And I guess it was for like maybe Friendster or something. 
he wanted us to take like a bunch of pictures of him dressed as Michelangelo doing like nunchuck tricks around the uh, <laughs> around the dorm room. You do not want to do that. That's how you turn into a Star Wars kid. My roommates emailed every single professor in the film school and like a bunch of admin staff, like a trove of <laughs> these pictures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like our, like my boss at my work study was like, what is this picture? What is this? Who are, what is he up to? Is he drunk? And I was like, no, he's not drunk. He's just like that. I hate that you were a party to that. I wasn't. I didn't know what happened. I found out about it the next day at work. He was pissed at them. He made them like go around and ap- apologize in person to every single professor that received it. Wow. <laughs> It was it was, uh, it was quite the kerfuffle in my uh, domestic life. I bet in college. So I don't like that the doc is doing this to Paris, and I don't like that Paris wants to do it to to BLT. Try it, and I'll kill you. There's a lot of shame to go around. Yeah. So they're sitting there drinking some late night coffees when uh, the whole ship starts vibrating, and we cut up to the bridge, and there's a massive energy wave heading at the ship. And it's also like following them. Like they try to change course and it and the massive energy wave changes course. Yeah, it's easy to get a little lost in the description of this, I thought, because you're not seeing the exterior. Yeah. As they describe it. It's following them. Like that's that's fucking terrifying. That'd be like if Praxis blew up and then the explosion <laughs> just like went and found the Excelsior somewhere. If Sulu's order was like turn her away from the wave and avoid it, and yet the wave pursued the Excelsior. (laughs) How surprising would that be for Sulu in that moment? Talk about a moment to drop your tea. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, this energy wave just absolutely hammers the ship, and uh, the ship can't break free because energy waves are strong. (laughs) I don't know why scientists keep making them. Of course, it's locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully. I'm going to say this once. We come back from the uh, opening title sequence in media wave and it passes and it's like, so that seems to have been fine. Like it shook them up a little bit, but it didn't cause any damage. And then they, they, they find that they now have an audio track in their database. Yeah, this is just bizarre. This was hard to understand also until Kim plays it back. Yeah. The idea is this wave passed through, dropped a uh, cassette into their player, and then went on its way. <laughs> so Kim hits play, and it sounds like this terrible screeching sound. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, it's got like a cranky bird kind of energy to it. I hated hearing this. Yeah. I didn't like it at all. No. I was like, God, I hope they don't play that any more times in the episode. I'd say it's a pretty good bet somebody's trying to tell us something. They pivot very quickly from, oh, this is awful, I hate it, to where did this come from? (laughs) And Paris is like, we can go there right now. And then they do. Yeah. Like, bang, bang, bang. They arrive at this ship, the source of this awful tape that they received. And there is one David Cronenberg-type life form aboard. And it's in pretty (laughs) bad shape. (laughs) Yeah. We see like the beat up ship and then we are like in six bay with this life form and the captain and BLT and the EMH talking about it. 
This thing also kind of reminded me of the critter that comes out of Zorg's desk in the fifth element, you know, when he's like banging on the buttons. Yeah. It's like a less cute version of that guy. Or like that guy fucked a, a face hugger, maybe. If you like that, you're going to love this. We got to talk about this alien yeah. before we move on. The design. Yeah. Were they going for scary? What were they going for here? Because I don't think they could go for scary. And that's why it looks the way it does. Right. It's not cute. It's not scary. It looks like Pokemon to me. Like, I've, I've never played Pokemon, but what little knowledge I have of it are like the characters in Pokemon look like this. They, they look like <laughs> scaly, tentacly, floaty guys. It definitely looks like it came from the same creative shop that produced Paris and Janeway turned into lizards uh-huh. puppets you know it doesn't look anything like those but for some reason it has the same energy as those like the the people who were fired from the jim henson muppet studio got together <laughs> and made and made this out of their dumpster dive parts we're gonna make our own puppet studio with blackjack and hookers <laughs> <laughs> They're too nice over there. <laughs> this is what they came up with. <laughs> I mean, BLT is there to greet for some reason. Yeah. Why, why is that exactly? Like, this presents as both a medical emergency and an engineering problem. Right. And I guess it's like they're, the ship is in really bad shape and they're trying to figure out things about the ship. Mm-hmm. And she's down there to say like, oh yeah, like, we, we might not even be able to interface with this ship because the alien gives biochemical commands to interface with it. I guess it's like excreting stuff on the computer in the ship and, <laughs> and that's how the computer knows what to do. Yeah, they really should have put down a tarp in Six Bay. It'd be like at the beginning of this episode, in order to generate the script that we read, I had just like popped a pimple onto my computer screen. Mm. And, you know, that's that's what caused it to generate so, some plausible banter between Ben and Adam. <laughs> as gross as that thought is, <laughs> I do feel like some liquid would be welcome here with this alien. I think part of why it doesn't work for me is that it just looks like a piece of plastic. It just looks dry. Yeah, it's not gooey at all. And I think that that was one of the like real strokes of genius with the xenomorph. Right. Is like, it's always coated in, in goo. Yeah. No one's having any fun here because it's so dry. And when it jumps on BLT, <laughs> there's a security person there that has to be told not to shoot. Don't shoot this thing because you might hit BLT. But- I was wondering why Janeway doesn't shoot it at point blank range. Janeway is right there. She could hold a dustbuster to its body. Yeah. Is that like being electrocuted? Like you don't want to shoot an alien attached to BLT because the energy from the discharge would would hurt her? Oh, yeah. If, if you shot set to vape, would it pass from the alien to her automatically? That's what I was trying to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is going on? That's what I was trying to figure out. But we don't really get an answer to that. You're just made to fill in the blanks yourself. Yeah, it all happens so fast that by the time the doctor explains it, like it's it's like in her vascular system. It's like 
got its tendrils like so involved in her birdie that they can't get it off by any conventional method. Did you understand this either? Because it feels like I'm really like going after this episode right away. And I think part of it is its lack of detail. Like part of what made the the alien in the alien franchise so visceral is like you see the schematic, you see the x-ray in the medical facility of like a thing going down a throat. Right. And you're made to feel how awful that's gotta be. BLT's wearing this thing like a lizard shawl. <laughs> And you're not really sure exactly how the alien is getting into her birdie, or if it is at all just by its proximity. How is it affecting her? All, all we're told is like she's getting pumped full of some kind of shit they don't understand and her organs are failing as a result. Yeah. I mean, if they weren't saying those things out loud, you'd just be like, wow, BLT got one of those anime body pillows. <laughs> all right. If that's what she's into. Yeah, Tom Paris works long hours and she's got to fall asleep too. <laughs> I guess she got Pokemon on hers. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's the only thing that'll help her wind down. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the upshot is that there's no obvious way to get it off, but it is like slowly harming her. It's not killing her softly it's killing her gently yeah it's like paralyzing her and you know drawing from her kidneys or something and like paris is down there at this point you know having a full-blown freak out at the captain and the doctor like get this fucking thing off her and the doctor's like paris everybody is talking about getting this fucking thing off her like that's not the dispute we're trying to do that without killing her Jane is like i wasn't aware you were still together I mean, what is really going on here? How many months has it been? <laughs> like, have you had a what are we conversation yet? Some episodes, you barely talk to each other, even though emergencies are happening all around us. <laughs> going from zero to a hundred in like absolute record time, the captain like marches into the doctor's office and is like, the solution to this problem is to make a second holographic doctor that can consult with the first holographic doctor about exobiology because this is such a weird alien. I was really surprised by this because when you start an episode about the doctor's inherent vanity and then you suggest an idea of an additional doctor to quote unquote help, I thought the doc's reaction would be, what, I'm not good enough for you? Like, I'm all a ship could ever need. I'm the best. <laughs> His professional curiosity overrides what could be a more interesting argument against this idea. Yeah. I was just, like, amazed at how quickly they got to this weird idea and how quickly everybody agrees that it's the best idea. Right. <laughs> Even though, like, we've seen Harry Kim try and make, like, a substitute EMH before and how badly that went. It's apparently much easier to make a substitute like consulting EMH than it is to make the, the original flavor. It is very important that we create a character distinct from this weird alien on BLT's body. <laughs> <laughs> we must never look at that alien. Yeah. So uh, down in the holodeck, Harry and the Doc get to work on creating this character 
and um, they just like look up like who's the best person at exobiology of anyone, and uh, they come up with Krell Moset, and uh, he appears and appears to be a Cardassian, and Harry Kim launches into a racist tirade immediately. <laughs> Have you mentioned to anyone else that this guy's a Cardassian? What difference does it make? Yeah, why don't you cool it with the anti-Cardassian remarks there, Harry? I mean, I'd expect that from the Maquis crew. Maquis? But from Harry? Right. It's surprising to hear it from him. And I was like, okay, I get this. This is going to be an episode about this Cardassian having been a really great dude, and it's going to teach us all an important lesson Yeah, about, <laughs> about, about prejudice, because they're all going to be weird about him initially, and then they're going to be like, it turns out that Cardassian doctor guy was a saint. We actually like him better than the doc. And his presentations, they're amazing. So entertaining. He's got bits. Like the order of the photos is is scintillating. You're on the edge of your seat the entire time. Yeah. He also had some pretty good ideas. And it's never at the expense of any of the other crew members. You know, it's never like, oh, I'm getting a laugh because I'm embarrassing one of my friends and colleagues, you know? Yeah. There are three things to remember about being a Starship captain. So they decide not to stick with the bad voice version of Chroma set that they begin with. And uh, <laughs> a couple of turns of the screwdriver later, he sounds like a fun, cool dude. Yeah. He's got that neighborly vibe, right? Like, uh, like someone you run into from time to time on the sidewalk. That kind of nice. Yeah. Just, uh, Pleasant to pass the time with for a bit. You never know them that deeply. You yeah, know, you know, you never know what their backstory is. For example, why would you want to know? They, they seem nice enough. You don't need to know their dark secret. No, no. So he meets the doctor. It's a little bit awkward at first because the doctor does not have a name, and uh, that's like kind of zoomed past really quickly. That was like a big storyline for a while. And I feel like Voyager just kind of like was like, ah, we don't give a fuck about naming this character yeah. at this point. Yeah. Krell Moset sounds uh, linguistically like Gold Ducat. Like there's a don't do don't to a Cardassian name, isn't there? Yeah. We were talking a little bit before we heated the mics up about how familiar this guy looked. And I was like, is Moset a name that we've heard before? Or. Is it just that like we haven't seen Cardassian loaf in a long time, and so like looking at a guy in Cardassian loaf is, you know, <laughs> like oh yeah, I, I that guy looks vaguely familiar to me, you know, like is that what's going on here? It's incredible how much weight the Garrett character carries for all Cardassians everywhere as a counterpoint <laughs> to every other Cardassian we meet. In Star Trek. Right. Like, he is the exception. He really is. They all suck, kind of. Except for Garrick, who also sucks a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. For reasons we don't get a ton of detail about. Yeah. But, you know, seems to maybe have done bad things or maybe not. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Who can really say? (laughs) Certainly not him, in a way that you could feel pretty sure of. Right. Yeah. I have nothing to hide. Doc and Krelmaset hit it off immediately. They have got like a, a professional crush on each other big time. Yeah. 
I mean, it's love at first, souped up tricorder, right? They're work husbands, practically. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, Chromaset, like, modifies one of the medical tricorders in Six Bay to scan in some way that would be better than what is normally done. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've been telling the people at Starfleet to do this for years. They don't listen to me, though. It's so weird. Like, every time you hit a certain button on this tricorder, a random Bajoran dies, like, somewhere on Bajor. (laughs) Like, it seems at the time unnecessary, right? Yeah. Why does the tricorder have to do this? And it's going to save the life of your crew member, but every button press kills a random Bajoran, and it's like, is that a trade-off we're willing to make? (laughs) Yeah. The doc does not see this as a moment in time to ask a lot of questions. He's just grateful for the help. Yeah, and not, like, professionally threatened by the help at all. No. Meanwhile, uh, Janeway and Chakotay, there's a whole other part of this, right? There's that transmission that they played over the tape recorder. And they're like, well, can we translate this thing? And Janeway is like, we could, but here's what happened when I turned every note of this music into something visual. And what's on screen is just not a code that anyone is going to track when you look at it. No. what You know what it looks like is like a microscope view of ropes, yeah. Flying past the screen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is buried as a C story problem to solve and then gets elevated into a story status later on at a very weird moment in time. But yeah, like <laughs> part of the challenge is is their inability to communicate with this thing or people of its kind. Speaking of people that are having a tough time communicating, we meet uh, seven of nine down in the um, engineering section, and she's working with Ensign Tabor, a real-life Bajoran, on scanning the computers of this alien ship. And he does not take kindly to receiving orders. Like, he's a Mayquise. Mayquise? He's not even getting orders from a Starfleet at this point. He's getting orders from Seven of Nine. And he's like, yeah, I just don't, like, this is not really what I signed up for. Like I was just trying to be like a small-time terrorist in a as part of a larger organization. Now I'm taking orders from an XB in like super high heels. What's going on? You think of all the Mayquis. And of all the Mayquis, the Bajoran Mayquis probably have the the biggest axes to grind, right? <laughs> no kidding. And how lucky is he that for all the buttons that the doc hit on that tricorder, he's not been killed yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, Uh, And like, he's like, so does it kill like specifically a Bajoran that's on Bajor or is it like any Bajoran (laughs) anywhere in the universe? And like, what if they're like half Bajoran and half, you know, Romulan or something like that? Like, do hybrids count? The show doesn't want you to like Tabor up top, right? He's doing a lot of piping up at Seven. Seven's just trying to get these alien data banks transferred over to Voyager before the ship destroys itself. This doesn't seem like a good time for his many opinions about how this should be done and who he should be taking orders from. No. And at this point in the episode, like, there's a visual language to the show that you get used to that I feel is thrown completely out the window during this moment of tension that comes next. Because as the alien ship makes it clear it's going to explode, all of the angles during this scene are crazy. They're like from the floor up, from the ceiling down, through a railing. Yeah. What is going on here? 
I feel like we use we are so used to seeing the the bridge from the other side. Mm-hmm. The camera is really over toward the right hand side of the of the bridge yeah. for a lot of this episode. It, it's weird how different that feels, right? Yeah, and I think it's also like underlining how unusual it is for Seven of Nine to be the person that declares the red alert. Mm-hmm. Like they're working in engineering. Seven of Nine is the one that calls it, and then we're like up on the bridge. The camera's on the floor, mm-hmm. on like way over the on the right hand side, and. Janeway and Chakotay are like running onto the bridge to, you know, order the ship to back away so that it doesn't get exploded when this alien ship like goes critical because they tried to download its database. What, <laughs> what kind of design is this? Fuck is going on over there? Yeah. You'd expect to cut back to the alien boa just kind of flopping around, maybe having some kind of uh, reaction to its ship exploding. Yeah. It's not what happens at all. No. Seems fine. It's chilling. Yeah. So this alien ship off the board and Krell and the doc continue their medical patter. This is, a, I think, the second shot of BLT in the bio bed with the alien. Yeah. I think the less they show of this, the better. <laughs> this just looks like miserable work for Roxanne Dawson, right? Like, yeah. can we say that? Sure. The entire episode, she's laying on this bed with this thing around her neck and Bertie, like made to emote. Right. In a way that seems very difficult. It's like, you know, not everybody wants to be public about their anime body pillow, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's the sort of thing you want to put in the uh, in the checked luggage. <laughs> you want to open that when you get in the hotel room. One of the things that the doc and Massette are talking about is this doesn't seem to be an attack. Like it definitely could have killed BLT at this point if it if that was what its goal was. It seems to be, you know, harming her slowly, but it's that wouldn't be like a great way to do it if that was what you were trying to do. And so the theory now is that this thing is using her to like keep itself alive. Yeah. And so Massette is like, oh man, like I really want to work this out and figure out a way to get it off her, but like it just sucks not to have like my abattoir. I mean, <laughs> did I say abattoir? I meant my laboratory. <laughs> you know, you see how the two words are so similar. So based on his request, they set up a hollow lab for Krell. Great idea. Hmm. Give him what he wants. Yeah. We're just using the holodeck for literally anything else. Meanwhile, Paris and BLT have a conversation. She's had a couple of moments of lucidity where she like will wake up from the coma or whatever she's in. Paris is threatening her with rock and roll, like, yeah, you know, you're now that you're pinned down, I can play you all my shitty old music. And uh, she rolls her head over to the other side and notices that there is a filthy cardi in the doctor's office, and she's like, "What's with him?" Paris is like, oh yeah, that's the guy that's going to help get this thing off you. Relax. It's just a hologram. She does not take kindly to this. I don't hate you, Cardi, is what BLT says. I hate what you're trying to allow me to become, (laughs) which is a person without this giant bug on me. Yeah. Paris is like, that doesn't even make any sense. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) It's like, it sounds like a an idea, but it isn't. Like the the more you think about it, the less cohesive it is. Paris also uses this time to just kind of ask, "What are we? 
you and me, like as a relationship. Yeah. What? Like, are we like exclusive or? BLT's like, I feel like you don't think I'm attractive anymore. <laughs> Do you consider this body pillow to be like a substitute for me or something that you need in addition to me? Like it's fulfilling a need that I can't or what? I mean, when we talked about opening up the relationship, I didn't think you were just going to invite alien body pillow into it. <laughs> yeah, that was really what I had in mind as our first three-way. <laughs> so down on the holodeck, they're uh, walking into the laboratory that they've set up for Massette. And he kind of just casually tosses off that, oh, yeah, it was part of the, the occupation of Bajor. I didn't have all this fancy stuff back then. <laughs> Don't tell me you were forced to improvise. Yes. I know what that's like. Yeah, all of these uh, torture, I mean, surgical implements were uh, not clean back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice to see everything kept in a nice shine. Yeah, yeah. It's cool to use uh, stainless steel for these things. We did not when we were occupying Bajor, you know? Yeah. It's just so scarce those days. Krell does a great job at, in conversation, kind of constructing a career history that is adjacent to the Cardassian military industrial complex, like sort of related, but not actually a part of it, like in a very vague kind of way. Like as soon as the questions get too close, Krell is very deft at like kind of steering the answers into places without great detail. Yeah. Or if Bajorans were involved in any way. Very slippery when those yeah. kinds of issues come up. Not unlike what we wish that alien looked like, like if it had more goo on it. Yeah, yeah. The the dry alien or a <laughs> version of it is is holographically reproduced and they start looking it over. Yeah. I did really like the, uh, like when they cut it open and there's like pulsing shit inside. It. <laughs> oh, you liked when they tortured the alien, Ben? Yeah, I did. That was cool. How dare you? Uh, this god shot, when they make the alien appear on the biobed, though, it does really lay bare what a silly design it is. They should have gone to black and white here to like fully emphasize the metaphor. <laughs> metaphor! Right? <laughs> In the captain's office, she's talking over the uh, situation with Chakotay. And she's like, so we got this message. We cannot translate it. It just looks like ropes when we put it up on, on screen. And it sounds like a cranky bird when we play it back as audio. But what if we shot it out as like a distress signal and see what comes back? You know, like a car with a great sound system, slow rolling through a neighborhood. What if we just played it at top volume? Mm -hmm. And Chakotay is like, uh, that sounds awful. Because none of the neighbors want to hear this shit. And what if people get upset by what we're playing? Janeway is not even trying to hear this. She's like, do it. Yeah. <laughs> There's coffee in that distress call, right? So they do this pulse. And the pulse looks exactly like the, the wave that knocked their ship around at the beginning of the episode. And I was like, fuck, they could get someone killed with that thing. Yeah. Are there other ships turning into the wave or away from the wave that we can't see? Probably. Yeah. Are they worried about tearing someone apart? Yeah. 
lot of tea sets were broken on this day. Yeah. So this uh, alien does look like it is full of testicles. Right? Was it testicles or tentacles that it looks like it's full of? I forget. Oh, are you talking about when they cut this thing open? <laughs> I forget what the robot told me to say. How is it dry on the outside and dry on the inside? Yeah, these things... This fucking... I can tell you why it's doing so bad medically. It's not well hydrated. <laughs> Eight glasses a day. <laughs> There's your problem. It's like they rescued a goldfish from a fish tank and then just put it on a dry bed. <laughs> And they're like, what's, what's wrong with it? They're like hitting it with a salt shaker and they're like, this seems to be making it worse. Nobody likes salting the snail, but she gives you no choice. She doesn't leave you with any options. What a horrible thing. And why is it making that sound? <laughs> what's up, suckers? They are in this moment talking about what the priorities are. Because they like, they can cut open this, this critter with this crazy Cardassian scalpel that looks like a can opener slash torture implement. Mm -hmm. But Masset is like, hey, listen, like your priority is getting your crew member back alive. If we can save the the critter, you know, that's a nice to have. But the goal is is BLT. And the doctors very firmly team, let's save both. And so like as they're debating this, Masset's program starts to like glitch. And so he has to be put on pause. Yeah. We cut over to Six Bay where uh, Kim and Tabor are working the problem of the Krell program. Yeah. They boot it up, and uh, this is when Tabor sees <laughs> sees the program that the doctor's been running for the first time. And uh, the doctor gets a much bigger reaction from this than he ever got from his uh, vacation photo collection. Yeah. It's strange how oblivious the doctor is to blt in this moment going so far as to like double down on the idea of krell maybe becoming a more permanent member of the crew in the face of blt's growing umbrage with the entire idea yeah there's a sort of um weird energy to just like how like how much the the truth has been seemingly covered up from them Mm mm-hmm but like Tabor knows all about this guy, and this really recalled that doctor from the uh, the Metreon Cascade. Yeah, that was like a an early uh, Voyager episode when great when call. Yeah, Neelix sort of had the same thing. Like this guy did a bad thing. Like don't trust him under any circumstances. Mm-hmm. But it's also like very clearly a Joseph Mengele metaphor that's being made here. And I would argue that the metaphor has been. Uh, Mangled in this episode, my friend. <laughs> wow, <laughs> probably the most controversial title an episode of this show will ever have. <laughs> People love the wordplay on this show. Yeah, ooh, what's this Star Trek podcast? Let me click on this. So Tabor like seems to forget that he's talking to a hologram and like wants to beat up yeah. Krell Masset. Take it easy, Tabor. Whoa. And uh, the doc, <laughs> for the second time in two scenes, has to turn off the Krell program for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. like, just go ahead and transfer him back to the holodeck so that this guy doesn't uh, start a fight in here. Yeah. We don't need a barroom brawl in my office. Yeah. I've got to get that platinum. Get that gold, large man. I've got to get that platinum. What now? Are you planning a heist? Gold. 
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Tabor tells the doc about Krell's experiment in the next scene. This is done with Chakotay sort of corroborating what he's saying because he's heard things too as a Maquis. Maquis? You hear the legend 
of Krell and all the terrible things he's done. Yeah. And the doc is still defending him. Like, it's so weird to see the symmetry of this. Like, Tabor and Chakotay are like, yeah, this is like living history and it's bad. And the doc is like, what if not all bad? (laughs) What if also good? What if it's sort of in that gray area, the charoscuro of evil and good? Arguing with the doctor is like arguing on the internet. Like, that's what this scene is. Wow. Yeah. Just by engaging, you've already lost. Yeah. 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 Like, it's it's interesting to make a the gray areas of a political issue argument to two guys who, before you met them, were terrorists. Right. <laughs> like, Tabor like, and Chicote are uniquely bad at seeing it, things in anything but black and white. Right. But also, I kind of feel like until this episode, the doctor has been written that way in a lot of episodes. Like the, I've taken this vow and like, I I will not do this operation due to that or whatever has been a thing that the doctor has made a firm rule several times. The outshot of this scene is Tabor going, I want the hologram and all of the research that the Krell character has done that may be in our computer banks. I want it deleted. Delete him, delete the information. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad to have. Back in Six Bay, BLT, I told you so is Paris. <laughs> While there's a fucking alien sucking on her neck. <laughs> She's gonna have a hell of a hickey. Where does she where does she get the energy for this? <laughs> As people whose partners I told you so us all the time, I think we know that the the well for that yeah, kind of energy. Inexhaustible. Is yeah. Inexhaustible. <laughs> She goes so far as to say that she will not let Krell operate on her using the knowledge that was gained from his torture. Yeah. And just then BLT starts to code. Like those are her, those could possibly be her last words. And she passes out secure in the knowledge that they will never let Krell Masset do anything to her body. Right. Over in engineering, a really surprising scene takes place because Kim and Seven have gone from trying to solve the mystery of the alien's message to proving or disproving Tabor's accusations against Krell. Like, I had a really hard time with the elevation of this into a priority. Like, alien message still very important. Yeah. Maybe a solution to the problem of what's happening to BLT. Possibly. But we've just given up on that because it's difficult, right? It might have made more sense to me if there had been a stitch of dialogue about like everybody else on the crew is working super hard yeah. on the yeah. on decoding. So the two of us just decided to do a little bit of a, a deep dive on Google to see if we could corroborate anything about what Tabor told us. And it turns out like they could corroborate everything. Like Massette's big claim to fame is defeating the Fostosa virus on Bajor and they're like, yeah, like the shit that he ordered, all the like drug requisitions and stuff. Like we have all those records. This super looks like he experimented on innocent civilians to determine how to how to beat this illness. And that smashes us to uh, the holodeck where the doc tries to kind of confront Masset about the bad things that he not he, like the the real person that his hologram program is based on did. I think this is 
one of the better, if not the best scenes in this episode, because this is a interesting back and forth about how subjective ethics can be. Ethics are arbitrary. Like, what is the thing that really matters? Like, can you begin with the thing that matters and then construct your ethical architecture around that? Or do you start with having your own ethical architecture and then you use that to confront whatever situations arise? Like, it's an interesting moral order of operations thing that is really interesting to think about. And then, like, add to that the dimension of... Like you made me like I, I didn't want to be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, I don't think that this is, this bad shit is even that bad or that much of it happened. But even if it did, like, who gives a shit? Like, I can help you, man. <laughs> it's, uh, that is so unintentionally funny. The whole like, you know, if you think I'm a monster, then why did you make the monster and all of the monstrous things? <laughs> Yeah, we're standing here in my abattoir <laughs> that you program. <laughs> Would that not make you the monster, Doctor? Hmm. Yeah. Me thinks the doctor doth protest too much. Yeah. We cut over to Chicote's office, and Tabor walks in wearing a com badge, but clearly wanting to take it off. He's a conscientious objector to this whole Krell situation. Yeah. He doesn't want to serve aboard a ship that would use a Krell hologram or Krell medical documents, or anything. He may be a terrorist, but he has a line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he sure does. Don't you wish Chakotay code switched a little bit with Mayquees. Oh. Like I feel like in, in the first season or so, you got a little bit of that between him and BLT. Yeah, and like the occasional punching of a lower decker in the mess hall. I kind of feel like this would be a brilliant moment to kind of bring that back, like where where they can drop rank just a little bit and go like, look, man, I, I know what you mean. This shit is crazy. But... <laughs> <laughs> but instead, like, Chakotay does not break rank. Yeah, he's really become a company man yeah. in the last four seasons yeah. in a way that is, like, noticeable based on that. Yeah. I understand how difficult this is for you, but you've got to let go of the past. Do you think he's doing it for love? Like, the way some people kind of change their personalities? Mm. Right. Based on a love interest they have? Chakotay, back when we were Mayquees, you didn't even like dogs. <laughs> You always said you hated baths and loved showers, and yet you've got a drawing of a bathtub on your desk. What's that about? It's not that simple. It is to me. You weren't even religious when I knew you. And now it's a kuchimoya this and a kuchimoya that. Bindle, bindle, bindle. It's like you're really playing that up for some kind of dramatic effect, and I'm not sure who it's for. But it doesn't wash with me, bucko. You know what? I'm just going to say it. She's never going to be with you, man. She's never going to be with you. She's not going to be with someone she doesn't respect. And that's you. We've been on this mission for five years and she still has that fucking frame picture of her dog and that plain ass white guy on her desk. You think you're replacing that? For the clothes you love to live in. That's what she likes. Okay. <laughs> She's got a type and it's not you. Also, I'm, I quit. I quit. <laughs> 
I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. And Jacosta is like, you can't quit. You're fired. And then forcefully rehired. <laughs> Sorry, you can't quit. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've noticed, mister. We don't have a lot of crew people. Yeah. We're going to need to keep you around. So they have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where... Paris is the one that is sort of riding for do whatever it takes up to and including using Krell Masset to do this operation. The doctor is sort of saying like, I think that we can, you know, carve out an ethical framework in which we can feel okay about this. But a lot of the rest of the room is really skeeved out by the idea of letting Krell Masset do anything and Tuvok is the one that makes the like really like strong pure ethicist argument for this justifies the kind of experimentation that the real Krelmoset did on Bajor and therefore cannot be tolerated. We're in the middle of the Delta Quadrant. Who would know? We would know. It's really intense. I could have used a longer scene here. I think this is the centerpiece scene of the whole episode because you have Paris having a great argument, which is what wouldn't you do for the person that you love? Anything to save their life is is the side that Paris is on. When he gets into Chakotay's face yeah. about Chakotay's ethical lines, I fucking love that. That is one of the strongest B-Dunks moments of the whole season was that moment. I love it. And, and what Robert Beltran does to kind of like absorb it, I thought was another great moment. I like them arguing together. They're good like that. It really reads like yeah. you really understand why they are both passionate and behaving the way they do in the situation. And and you understand why they're at such loggerheads about resolving it. It is a real genuine surprise for me in this scene when the captain comes down on Team Mosette. Like she's been like hearing them all out yeah. on this and she like announces we're in the fifth act of this episode we really don't have time for a lawyer star trek episode to begin right now this is one of those episodes where there's kind of a lot of denouement so we really need to get done with the surgery scene because that's sort of the climactic moment it is a good moment for janeway because she doesn't just make a decision and end the meeting she's like i'm making the decision but i'm also taking the responsibility blowback like whatever moral mud gets flung around here. I want me to look like the Paris picture from that presentation in the beginning. <laughs> and Paris is like, oh, come on. Everybody always has to bring that up. You remember that embarrassing picture of Paris covered in mud? Well, I want to be covered in moral crud. My girlfriend is in six by fucking a body pillow right now. And you got to insult yeah. me like that? Yeah. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. So they get the operation a rolling, and meanwhile, up on the bridge, another one of these ships pulls up and starts playing their incredibly annoying sound over the comm system in a way that, like, they can't even filter out. Like, it's happening in a way they can't turn off. It's like, can't you enjoy your music at a really high volume with the windows up? Like, that's cool. Play it as loud as you want. Windows up. Why do I have to be subjected to your loud music? I don't care to listen to it. I like it. I think it's fun. Yeah. Sometimes I learn about new music that way. Yeah. Tuvok is like, uh, I love this scene. Do you hear that screaming? Anyone else hear that screaming? 
<laughs> it's the vessel. And uh, I love Janeway's confidence here. She's like, well, it sounds like screaming over there, but maybe talking is how we could negotiate ourselves <laughs> through the situation. <laughs> like, do you ever do this, Ben? Like, you're like, Darone is scream crying at you, and you're like trying to talk sense into him, like using adult vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work, but, uh, you know, eventually. We'll get that poopy die die off of him, and uh, yeah, you know, we'll resolve the problem. And sometimes the the talking is as much as for me as it is for anyone. That's my point. I feel like this talking is for Janeway. Yeah, and the crew. She proposes this like we come in peace kind of stuff, and then we cut back down to the operation where. Massette is like, how do I turn up this scalpel so it's like really, really cutty? And he's like, you know, doing the knob at the bottom of the thing. And the doctor's like, hey, man, you're really going kind of wild with that thing. Do you want to maybe turn it down and, and go a little softer? Were you confused about whether or not this was a real procedure or the practice one? The thing that threw me for the first couple of scenes was was that this was happening in the holodeck and not in Six Bay, which right. is a place that Krell can go. I thought for sure they would do the procedure in Six Bay. Yeah. I think I would have staged it in Six Bay if I was directing this episode because I think that that does bump you. And But I think also maybe they're going for that alien abattoir energy so that it's like, more scary when he keeps, you know, turning the the volume up on his pokey device. I think it's more scary to see something awful happen in a Starfleet six bay, like yeah, an outsider performing their dark surgery in a place that should be, you know, that has certain expectations about ethics and how doctors practice medicine. Like, I think that would hit super hard if if Krell is in there, like stirring with <laughs> with his stir stick knife in the back of this bug alien yeah. uh, as it screams in response. He is making a real butcher job of it and the alien ship throws a tractor beam onto them that starts kind of like sapping energy out of the ship, including the holodeck, which is going to be really bad for BLT if she's both being sucked dry by this alien and also falls from the height of a bio bed on the floor. <laughs> this is, I mean, BLT is almost asleep. And so that's really got to suck here too, right? Like mm. this is the point of having the bug body pillow. Right. It's like, come on, can I get one minute of pleasure to myself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean- it's it's working. Yeah. They inject the bug with some drugs, some bugs drugs, and uh, they kind of stabilize it. Yeah. After Doc Holliday has taken over lead on the operation and pursued a like less efficient approach, which I thought was crucial. Like they stabilize the bug, and then like you know once it's good to transport, they they just transfer it directly to the alien ship, and the tractor beam drops, and there's like a couple more words of screechy nonsense exchange. You're welcome. And they're out of there. But I really thought that there was going to be more made of the fact that Doc Holliday was the one that ultimately like accomplished the procedure. You and me both. Yeah. It doesn't come up again. That is not really a part of the math of this. 
So the first scene of wind down is in the captain's office where the doctor is kind of reporting on, you know, BLT's condition and like how she reacted when he told her what they did. And she is predictably pissed about it. Yeah. The question is floated about like what we're going to do with the Krell program going forward. Like a uh, great success this time around, right? <laughs> We yeah. saved BLT, we we transferred the body pillow back over to the body pillow ship, and uh, I don't know, we gonna keep working together? And Janeway punts on this. She's like, look, I, I took the crud for the initial decision, but whether or not you want to work with this guy going forward, that's going to be up to you. Very interesting, because the doc did earlier in the episode suggest, like, I love this guy. We're going to, he's going to be, the, like, on the team. He's going to be a main cast character going forward. Yeah. And that is so much not a an energy that we have in this scene. No. The captain goes down and pays BLT a visit, and BLT is rip shit pissed and is, like, trying to chill out with Klingon incense and some books. Yeah, this is just not going to dispel demons, right? This is another moment of, you know, Maquis versus Starfleet sensibility. Like when BLT says that Janeway had no right to make this call, she's wrong about that because Janeway absolutely did have every right to do it as the captain. Right. And to Janeway's credit, I don't think she apologizes. And I don't think she really tries to explain it outside of, as your captain, it's my call to make, and it's a call that I made, and you're going to have to deal with it. And I like that she was not instructed on how, just that that she needed to. Yeah. Like, we need a chief engineer and that curly-haired, red-headed guy that you were competing with for the job earlier in the series we haven't seen for a long time. So Yeah. We kind of have a lot of Maquis engineers on this ship in a way that I'm growing uncomfortable by. <laughs> yeah, it seems like they all got kind of shunted down to the engine room. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know that the engine room is not like a, a harmless place for them to be hanging out, right? There was a time when we had a serial killer on the crew working in engineering, yeah. and uh, I feel no more safe now than I did then. <laughs> Speaking of uncomfortable conversations, the doc goes down to the holodeck, which is still running with Krell Masset in there. And he's like, hey, doctor, boy, this is the start of something great. What a collaboration. We really knocked it out of the park on that one. Krell sees the breakup coming and is the person just wanting to never stop talking. Like, don't give the person... A moment to break up with you. Just yeah. keep talking. Just keep listing all the good times and really trying to downplay all the bad times. Also, make some plans for future stuff <laughs> together. Hey, I booked us a I'm trip. I'm just on my phone booking a flight right now. <laughs> <laughs> I used your Sky Miles. I hope that's okay. In an episode that doesn't reflect well on the Doctor, this, I thought, was one of the moments that reflected the worst, is that the Doctor can go off script when he does performance vanity to the rest of the crew via multiple presentations about how great he is as a Doctor. But when the rubber meets the road about making a decision and telling someone a hard truth, 
He's got to read a script yeah. to tell Krell what he's going to do. And if this was an opportunity to grow the character in any way, it's a total fucking miss. If it's instead just the depiction of the limitations of the Doctor character and that this is not a character that's going to grow in a conventional way, this is not a character like someone else who will reach the end of an episode and go, we all really learned something here you know, me most of all, and I'm going to act differently. Like, I wonder if this is just an example of, of the doctor reaching the ceiling on potential because this kind of sucked. The reading of a, like it's, it almost feels like a judicial finding. Yeah. And you know, he also tosses in problematic phrase constructions like inhuman practices. Uh Oh, why the very name is racist. So, you know, not a great look for the talk at the end. I mean, like, I think you did the right thing by turning off the program. But I'm also like, I kind of wish this episode engaged a little bit more with the question that was posed in the surgery scene of whether he could have done this without Massette the entire time and whether this was like a a crutch in some way. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those endings to an episode that kind of drops the gavel like when the doctor turns and walks away from Krell after having deleted him, like that is the episode turning and walking away after dropping an ethical question onto a television for 46 minutes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you like that episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets. I don't like Fred. And I don't like you. Well, I can tell you I wish they showed less of the alien. <laughs> like, is there a way to do this episode where there, where you just don't see the alien at all? I, yeah. <laughs> it's tough. I mean, this is like, this is science fiction trying to rise to the enormous moral and ethical question that science fiction often is able to do really elegantly. Like, is this right or is this wrong? But- it also has this weird alien puppet. <laughs> and it's hard to concentrate when there's a body pillow in an episode like this. I think it's emblematic of a form of Star Trek that we don't really get anymore. I think modern Star Trek poses an interesting ethical dilemma and then answers that question strongly. Like, yeah. And this is back in a day when Star Trek used to just sort of go, here's an interesting idea. We're not going to take a side, but uh, why don't you think about this? And I kind of missed when Star Trek was more like this, but it also really frustrated me for all the reasons stated. I mean, it did make me think a lot about how we came to this conclusion surrounding medical ethics, because... When I think about Paris's position, there isn't anything I wouldn't do or want to do or want to use. Like, does it make me a bad person for saying that if medical knowledge exists that could save my wife's life, that was gotten from people who are dead and the, and the medical people who practice that form of medicine are also dead? Like, that is wrong of me to want to use. Like, is it is the reason that it's ethically wrong to discourage future bad behavior that way? 
Like I think so. I understand all the reasons that it's wrong, but man, when when it really comes down to it, and it's you, yeah, that's tough, no, man. I, I think that's super relatable, and I mean, I think that like that's why like medical ethicists exist because I don't think that right. anybody going through it is really equipped to like grapple with those things in a way that satisfies both the like pressing nature of a medical crisis, but also like the long-term ramifications of, you know, of that stuff. And like, yeah. I think that this episode like disappointed me in many places where there was some idea that it seemed to imply, but like didn't quite engage with, but overall, like, I feel like it is maybe stronger for some of that, like that, that it, it got us thinking about all these things and, and got us asking ourselves questions is that's what good TV does best. Right. Like evidence that it like had a bunch of interesting thoughts to put in front of us and it, and it did it in a way that was like mostly a pretty compelling program that like overcame something as silly as that puppet, you know, like, right. <laughs> that's not easy to do. Yeah. How much easier would this episode have had it without the puppet? <laughs> hey, Ben, I was looking up uh, whatever happened to the puppet prop. You can guess who was the winning bid on that, right? Oh, it's Garrett Wong. Yeah. Bid on that on eBay in like 1999. Why did he buy all the puppets? <laughs> was that just like, uh, oh, I'll have like a complete collection or was it something grosser? I don't know. I mean, that's an example of greatest generation asking a question we don't really bother to answer, huh? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> well, I, I have a question that I think I know the answer to, Adam. Would you like to check out the Priority One inbox? Oh, uh, yeah. Am I already there? Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a few P1s here today, and the first one is of a promotional nature. It goes like this. Are you a production manager or a manager for a musical act, and you need a professional design and lighting designer and a programmer to go along with it? Craig at Blue Shift Design is a designer and programmer with over 20 years of production design expertise, an ear for timing and energy, and experience to bring your tour or event to new creative heights. For everything from your holodeck production of Shakespeare to your sold-out arena tour, Blue Shift Design can help. And uh, you can go to blueshift.design or find them at, at blueshiftdesign on Instagram. You know, I've seen a lot of live shows in my life. Miriam live shows, you could say. Wow. And I've followed bands from... You know, like their smallest club shows. And there's that moment when a band makes the leap from like club show to getting an LD. Yeah. And like actually doing some stage stuff with the show. Yeah. And that is like such a fun part of a band's evolution is like when they recognize the value of that kind of thing. And I love I love people in Craig's line of work, like collaborating with with bands and performers to do this kind of thing. It's really great. It makes good things great. It makes great things more fun. 
makes a difference. This is, uh, I'm, I'm looking at some of the work on blueshift.design. Craig has worked with some, uh, some name acts and done some like conferences and stuff like that too. Oh, cool. Really awesome stuff. Yeah. So Craig at Blue Shift Design going for that greatest gen bump. Yeah. Man, I know that we do have a couple of people that like do tour at this level that listen to the show, and it's like weird and embarrassing to think about people like that listening to this <laughs> silly shit. But like, I hope something comes of this. This would be it'd be really cool to uh, to know that uh, a big touring act that we're friends with reached out to Craig and and got yeah. an LD. Yeah, pretty great. Ben, our next priority one message is. From Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. It is to you-know-who. Message goes like this. Dear you-know-who, <laughs> thank you for the 40th birthday P1. From way back on Voyager Season 2, Episode 12. And once again, sorry that I apparently listened to it so late that I must have thought it couldn't have been for me. <laughs> and you had to play it back for me later. <laughs> now... Happy 39th birthday to you. Wow. <laughs> and in parentheses, I will make sure to play this directly at you when it drops. Thanks, BNA. <laughs> oh, Mark. This would be how it goes, I think, were I to attempt a P1 for someone in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, it sounds like Mark and you know who have as almost as big an age gap as you and I do. So I honestly think that's part of the fun of a P1, like advertisements come and go those are dynamic right. those flow in and out of shows they change all the time depending on when you download an episode these p1s are baked in they're a monument so if your friend or, or the target of your message doesn't listen in that moment you can play it back at them yeah pretty cool you can roll by their house with the windows down <laughs> yeah. playing the p1 super loud like olivia rodrigo just blasting <laughs> Uh, we have one final P1 here today from Bridget at Bridge Makes, and it's to the former Twitter FOD. goes like this. I don't know if Twitter will still be a thing by the time this goes out. Not that it matters, as with all that has happened, I had to leave. Not being on Twitter has been positive for my life in general, but one thing I sorely miss are the good folks on the FOD group. That group was, to coin a metaphor, Freeman when the Callies came. Screw Flanders. <laughs> Man, I uh, I really vibe with that. Good friend of mine like had a person harassing them like over and over again on Twitter, and that person had been perma banned from Twitter and was recently reinstated. And it's just like it's such a drag. Like I know I'm kind of an outlier <laughs> being a person that just like actually genuinely liked it and like had a lot of fun on there. I feel like very lucky that it didn't become a thing that I felt I had an unhealthy relationship with. But uh, boy, I'm uh, going to miss it. But I don't think I can do it anymore, personally. It just sucks, man. Billionaires are bad and stupid. And I wish this didn't happen. Yeah. You burned it! Is someone making toast? Well, uh, farewell, Bridget. I hope you join one of the other great groups of FODs out there. There's a bunch of them. And uh, many life rafts being built on other social media platforms. So Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one thing we can say about FOD is, like, you can ruin the social media places, but... Uh, FODs are everywhere. They really are. And you can find them and, and make great places out of where they gather. Well, if you'd like to get a P1, 
You can head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and get one today. And uh, it'll probably be good overall to <laughs> to uh, help our show out. You know? Yeah, whether it's over here or over on Greatest Trek, Prior to One messages are a great way to support the show. Both shows. Every show. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Body pillow bug. <laughs> That's body pillow bug. <laughs> that guy is so silly. The silliest part of this episode is that body pillow bug. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like, this shit is so hard. Like, I try to imagine, like, the great professional challenge it is. Make an alien, Ben. No notes. <laughs> Just make something we can attach to a person, and there you go. And here's... That's the budget. And it's going to have pulsating stuff inside when we cut it open. The only constraint, make it dry. (laughs) Really dry. (laughs) Like, I can appreciate the great challenge of this. Yeah. And I think the exception is the rule here. Like, so often you get great alien creation in Star Trek. Sometimes you don't. And this is just one of those moments where, like, it's a distraction in an unfortunate way. Yeah. And now it lives on Garrett Wong's mantle, where it belongs. <laughs> you think he put it on his mantle? Yeah, he he covers it with Christmas lights, Ben. It's there the whole year through. You, you put a little pumpkin on it for Halloween. The head and leg have fallen off, but can be reattached. <laughs> <laughs> You never see the uh, the underside of this thing. No. Probably for good reason. Yeah, what's going on down there? <laughs> Is it uh, finished or unfinished, you think? <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, it's like a basement in the Midwest, you know? <laughs> a little really cold down there. Don't really want to go down. Uh, what's the fucking stupid thing the AI had us say to change the subject? <laughs> Not only that, but we yeah. should move on to the next <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the next episode is season five, episode nine, 30 days. Paris defies a direct order when he insists on helping a people whose maritime planet is in danger of becoming uninhabitable. Hmm. Maritime, you say? Yeah. So it's like uh, toward the eastern side of Canada. <laughs> yeah. They have delicious oysters there. Feels like a long time since we've had an episode that that centers Paris. Yeah, as a character. So I'm into looking that. Looking forward to that. Yeah. All right, Adam. I've uh, got the dice in my hand. Of course, the runabout is on square fourteen right now, and uh, there is a quarks bar. Looks like we could hit. And uh, I think if I hit the six, that would get us an eyes uncovered square, and that's of course the square where we have to employ Tamarian metaphors all through the episode. Everyone's favorite episode. Cool. Yeah. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right. I am rolling. I rolled a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Both of those remain in play. Okay. On uh, square 17 at the doorstep of that Quirks bar. All right. I can pick up the spare there. Okay. Uh, well, that'll be your role next time, and that'll be next week's episode, my friend. You want to take this thing home? 
Well, Ben, we're in the new year. Time to do our credits in a whole new way, right? Yeah, indeed. We got uh, many people to thank. Friends of DeSoto. Yeah. That support the show. Always first. Yeah. We could change our credits in Miriam ways, but Friends of DeSoto always come first. Or not at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, depending on what they're into. You yeah. know, we're not here to judge. No. You know, and if you thought like the body pillow stuff was judgmental, that wasn't what we were going for at all. We were just saying like that was what it reminded us of. Right. Yeah. In a non judgmental way. Absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to all the uh, body pillow uh, FODs out there. Yeah. Shout out to uh, bodypillows.fods.reddit.com. Those are uh, FOBPs. <laughs> <laughs> If you'd like to support the show, it's MaximumFun.org slash join. It really helps us keep the lights on around here. Don't know if anybody out there has noticed, but the cost of doing business has gone up pretty significantly in the last year or two. And so if you're in a position to swing five bucks a month our way, it would help us tremendously. And uh, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Set it up for the whole year. Now's the time. Plus you get so much bonus content. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Going to make some more bonus content this week. Sure are. That's what we're doing. Adam, who else do we got to thank? We got to thank Wendy Pretty, our producer, who uh, does a great job editing every episode, keeping all the production calendar stuff spinning. Wendy just sat in with us for a QA on an episode of Greatest Trek. Go, yeah. go listen to that. Just passed her one-year probationary period at Uxbridge Shimoda. Yeah. I think we might keep her around. She's uh, entering into her second year uh, of her two-year probationary period. Right. Now. Uh, Going to have to make some hard decisions probably a year or two from now. Yeah. About whether or not to retain her services. That's so far so good. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We've got to thank Bill Tilly, who runs our social accounts at Greatest Trek everywhere. You should probably look at uh, some other places to establish <laughs> at Greatest Trek accounts so that uh, history doesn't leave us behind. Yeah, if you if you need one point of contact for where FODs are, Bill would be that person. One place you can find a whole lot of them is drunkshimoda.com, the Discord. Yeah. Has thousands of people on it talking all the time. Truly. It's a great place to meet a friend in DeSoto, I think. It sure is. We've also got, uh, what's it, friendsofdesoto.social is a Mastodon group. Mm -hmm. I recently made an account over at post.news. Yeah. I, uh, as of this recording, haven't really done much with it yet, but, um, you know, maybe I'll start posting over there. Who knows? Hey, Adam Ragusea makes a ton of the fun music we use on this show, including its theme music. Dark Materia composed the track you're hearing right now under the credits. Yeah. Probably the one piece of audio that's played the most on The Greatest Generation, Greatest Trek. Like, yeah. It's everywhere. It really is. Dark Materia did that. Yeah. But Adam Ragusi is our actual pal in real life, and mm -hmm. uh, we recently did an episode of his show. Go listen to that. So good. Yeah. Who knows what he's talking about? Well, what else? Podshop.biz. Yeah. Get a fun thing at Podshop.biz. It's a store without an inventory, so keep that in mind. Yeah. And with that, we'll be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that is uh, enjoying the Maritimes, eh? You'll be the one doing the voice work. 
that episode. <laughs> oh, shit. I don't have a handle on that one. <laughs> I'm fucked. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.